Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And today's episode is going to be all things East Texas showdown and slowdown. I think we're about exactly 30 days away from meeting at the Bullet Grill to get ready to uh, dip our tires in the sand and the gravel and uh, go take a tour of East Texas on your bikes. It's going to be great. Looking forward to seeing everybody. And so today's episode is mostly going to focus on, well, not mostly, it's all going to focus on the East Texas Showdown. We have curated questions from racers this year. You know, what do they want to know? And we brought in a panel of previous racers to answer those questions. And I might chime in a little bit here and there as well. So yes, today's episode is going to be very East Texas Showdown heavy. And uh, if you're not planning on doing this route, um, I, I still think that you might be able to get value out of this because we're going to be talking about bikepacking, bikepack racing, strategies. Um, it's all going to be specific to this event, but hopefully there are some uh, tidbits that you can take away as well. So before we get into it, um, I first want to thank all of our sponsors for the East Texas Showdown. So far, uh, Kuat, Quadlock, the Bullet Grill, Rockgeist, Wren, and Ruby Coffee have all stepped up to be sponsors of this year's race, and we appreciate and couldn't do it without their support. Um, we are still open for sponsorship um, and or raffles, uh, raffle items. So if you are or work at a company or organization that would like to um, help support this year's event um, in any way, we are accepting help. Uh, so if you would like to learn more, uh, you could send me an email to bikes at bikesordeath.com and uh, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. Okay. That's it. We're not going to do patrons this week and uh, and many podcasts or anything uh, since today is just about the East Texas Showdown. Uh, but next week, we will be shouting out all the newest patrons and kind of getting back to our regular scheduled podcasting. So uh, what we're going to do real quick is I'm going to go through a few items of business, some housekeeping, and then we're going to be joined by... Alex, Lisa, Katya, Davis, and Dave, uh, who all participated in last year's race, and uh, they're going to be answering your questions. So if you are doing the race this year, please uh, pay special attention to these notes because they matter. And if you're not doing the race this year uh, and you're just listening for fun, you can go ahead and skip to about minute 12 if you just want to jump ahead to my conversation with the previous racers. Everybody else, stay right here for some important messages about the East Texas Showdown and Slowdown. First off, uh, let's talk about camping before the event or where you should stay before the event. The Bullet Grill has since last year cleared out, I think about five acres behind the restaurant there. There's still trees and stuff, um, but they've made a big camping area just for us. So the deals with that is that you can get there on Thursday, you know, in the afternoon, you can park there, you can camp there for free. 
yeah, I think Thursday night, that's going to be your best option. Of course, there are some Airbnbs you can rent. There's a Sam Houston National Forest that's close by. Um, the Big Woods Hunter Camp is an excellent primitive camping location uh, there. But otherwise, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're going to have primitive camping available at the Bullet Grill. It's free. Uh, you'll be able to be there with your car and all your stuff. And I think that it'll just make it super easy for everybody to uh, kind of facilitate being at the event and making it easy. Accommodations will be the Bullet Grill will be open on Thursday night till I think about 10, 1030. And then they're going to be opening up Friday early with some tacos and coffee, I believe, for for us. I mean, we got to pay for them, but uh, it's going to be available this year. As far as camping goes, you know, once they close, uh, there's no electricity and there will be porta potties, but this is pretty much primitive camping. Um, and I hope that you know how to do that. <laughs> so let's uh, just review the, the schedule of events real quick. And, you know, just as a note, you can go to EastTexasShowdown.com and we've tried to provide all of the information there, um, you know, when, where, we have the routes available there, the schedule of events, all kinds of stuff. So if you're looking to brush up on some East Texas Showdown, that is a great place to go. So for this year, the schedule of events is going to be almost identical to last year. We're going to meet up Thursday, March 31st at the Bullet Grill. Uh, racer check-in will start at 6 p.m. And the pre-race meeting will start at 8 and by nine, we should be wrapping it up and you can go to sleep or grab a beer, um, whatever you're fancy. And then uh, Friday, April 1st, the next day, we're going to be uh, opening up late racer check-in at 6 a.m. And then the showdown group start will be at 8 a.m. And the slowdown group start will be at 8.15 a.m. Just a little bit of separation between those two groups. And then Saturday, all day, ride your damn bike. Cool. Then what we're going to do is we're going to meet back up at the Bullet Grill on Sunday, April 3rd. Starting at 8 p.m., we're going to have an after party. We're going to have live music with raffle awards and all the good stuff. Um, a lot of camaraderie, storytelling, and I think for many people, kind of getting back together at the bullet after uh, the race is is one of the highlights. And the other thing I would mention about Sunday is, you know, as you finish your race, Sunday at the Bullet Grill becomes a great, almost like a live entertainment. You know, there's a group of us cyclists there, some family members, friends, they come and we watch the dot uh, on the screen with all the locals and uh, we'll come and cheer you on whenever you're coming in or if you're going out on the death loop, we'll, uh, we'll cheer you on and send you on your way. So Sunday's a great day at the East Texas Showdown. And um, one note about Sunday and the after party is that there is no deadline or cutoff for the race. I've tried to lay it out to where Everybody or most everybody can be there by 8 p.m. or at least catch some part of the party. Last year, we every single person uh, was able to make it except for our Lantern Rouge. Um, so we had a pretty high success rate of getting everybody to the after party. And uh, hopefully this year the weather will be better and, you know, it'll just times will be faster. So, okay, another very important note. 
is spot tracker registration. Whether you are renting a device from track leaders or whether you own your own device, you have to fill out a spot registration. That link can be found in the show notes of this episode on the blog post at bikesordeath.com, but also it's at bikereg.com forward slash East Texas Showdown. Just go to the main registration page where you registered. And uh, if you scroll down... You'll see a section called Event Notes, and um, there you will see a link to the track leader form. This form has to be filled out by March 10th, so you got like eight days um, to get this done, done if you're renting a device, because we have to get Scott the final numbers, and he's got to get time to get all those together and ship them to us. So again, spot tracker registration, make sure you get that done. And that's about it. I just wanted to uh, make a note. We are going to do some prizes, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what they are going to look like. The showdown prizes are going to be pretty straightforward. We're going to have uh, categories for men and women, first, second, and third place. But in the slowdown category, we're going to have some kind of fun prizes. First, we're going to have pro slow which is the slowest person, our Lantern Rouge. They are the, the most pro, the slowest, and they will get our Pro Slow Award. And then if you go fast, if you accidentally go fast on the slowdown, you're going to get a Faux Slow Award. Okay, we'll still recognize you, but you kind of messed up there. You went a little too fast. But we're also going to do another category, which I'm personally re really looking forward to, which is a uh, the best pitcher taken on the the ride. So if you're a photographer or just somebody who likes taking pictures when they're out on bike rides, um, we're going to have a special hashtag. And if you post a picture, use the hashtag, you're automatically entered to win a prize at the end of the race. So I think that's going to be a fun way to have some different engagement. And we are working on a Maybe a couple other fun prizes, but we haven't exactly nailed those down yet. But, you know, honestly, we might just kind of do it on the whim. You know, it is April 1st and it is Fool's Day. So we might just make it up as we go, uh, see what happens. Yeah, so we will get all that worked out. But the main thing is we are looking forward to hanging out, partying and celebrating everybody who comes and participates and we're trying to find some fun ways to do it. Now, I just got some breaking news from Seth Dubois uh, with Ebb Media and it looks like um, he's been trying to raise funding to come down and do a, a film of the East Texas showdown this year. It looks like he's got all of his, uh, he's got enough funding to proceed and he literally just texted this to me, so I'm kind of reading it as we go. Uh, but it looks like he's talking about booking a plane trip and coming down here. So that's really exciting. We've been trying to get him down since the first one. So I'm super stoked that it worked out um, for him to be coming down uh, this year. So if you want to be famous, I don't know. You might be in a film. It's going to be cool. And uh, it's also worth mentioning that Maxwell Johnston is also coming back. He was our photographer um, last year, and he's coming back. And so I uh, expect to see him out on the course taking epic pictures. And, you know, I'll be out on course taking mediocre pictures. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to all that. I think that's it. 
Let's turn it over to uh, my conversation with the panelists from last year and uh, get into answering your questions now. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. So let's, uh, why don't we start out with just introductions? Um, start with you, Alex, but just who you are, where you're calling in from, and then what, what, you know, if you placed at last year's race or something that happened at last year's race, uh, that was memorable to you. And then are you coming back for, for the next year? So everybody got that. We got name where you're calling in from last year's race. And then are you coming back? All right. Well, hi, I'm Alex. Uh, I'm living in Houston, Texas right now, wrenching for Edo Bike Co. Uh, East downtown. And uh, yeah, my, I guess, most memorable experience of last year's East Texas showdown was the fact that I had a plan that I threw out the window, ended up not sleeping at all, and ended up tying for first with Dave, <laughs> David Easley. Sorry, there's two Davis, Daves here. And yes, I am planning to do it again. I'm still split between doing it geared on the same bike, all city nature cross, or single speed on a surly steamroller. Cool, cool. And we'll get more into uh, some of that, go go a little deeper in some of that stuff uh, later on in the podcast. So, all right, Katya. Hi, everyone. My name is Katya. Uh, I'm currently living in Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston, about 20 miles west. I co-own uh, a bicycle shop right here um, in Katy. I did 280 miles, so I did a slow down last year. I had a fantastic experience. And this year, I'm testing myself for 380. So yeah, I am coming back. <laughs> yeah. Davis. I'm Davis Sims. I live in Bentonville slash Bella Vista, Arkansas. Uh, most memorable, I finished first on the slowdown, which was super rad. And I ended up going about 295 miles instead of the prescribed 270. And I am headed back down to do the whole damn thing this time. Yeah, 380 miles, right? Exactly. I'm ready. Right, right on, dude. All right, Lisa. Sweet. Hello, everyone. My name is Lisa Cervantes, and I live in San Antonio, Texas. I did the slowdown, and I completed it within my goal of three days. And um, as far as the next one, I'm not planning on doing the slowdown or the showdown, but I am considering a East Texas spectator. Oh, awesome. I, I like that. I hope you do. I do hope you do come. All right, Dave. All right. My name's uh, Dave Easley. I did the um, East Texas showdown. I had the privilege of riding with Alex and finishing first with him last year, which was the thrill of a lifetime to meet him. Awesome human being. Uh, I'm unable to make it this year because of my teaching obligations, but I uh, wish you all the best and I wish I could be there for sure. 
Yeah, man, it would be uh, it would be nice to have you back. And that's the way jobs and families and scheduling go. Is sometimes you know they they got to take take the front row. Um. All right. Well, let's start with the first question. We're gonna start with an easy one. I remember who this who wrote this one in. It's uh, from Stephanie Hall, and she wants to know what is your favorite caffeinated gas station beverage. So, Katya, we'll start with you. Oh, Red Bull, 100%. Flavor, what size? Uh, Red Bull, just like as it is. So caffeine and taurine people, it's the combination of those two chemicals that make it. Also, I actually have a little show and tell here. Uh, (laughs) A little trick that I've learned that helped me on my East Texas showdown. These little guys, the Via Instant Coffee, I didn't boil water for this i just put it in my water yeah yeah it's still caffeine it doesn't taste great but it does help with fatigue for sure yeah that's a that's a pro tip all right davis what about you same red bull og red bull you know let's get a the big one i usually carry like an extra water bottle just pour it in there and take it to go but also pro tip carbonation builds up so you know don't uh shoot red bull down your throw it whenever you're opening it for the first couple of drinks. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh I've been back to the re- the OG Red Bull myself. I tried all the flavors of the rainbow and and they're actually not bad, but man that OG Red Bull is hard to beat. Sponsor me Red Bull. Lisa. Um gas station, I mean like my drink setup the way I had it was really like only two water bottles and uh, electrolyte drink um but when i was in a bigger town i would actually go to like a donut shop or a coffee shop uh but i mostly relied on um just like electrolyte drinks but i yeah that was my setup with like two water bottles and having one full electrolyte drink and um i did well with that sick your turn dave coke all the way that's the only caffeine or sugar i'll have usually on a ride so i'm Kind of plain Jane, but you know, it is what it is. Hey, hey, whatever works. The only time I ever drink Coke is whenever I'm on a ride, a hard ride and a Coke. McDonald's need to get in on that. If they had all their customers riding long rides, they'd be drinking a lot more Coke for sure. Yeah, definitely the same. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> all right, Alex. Uh, I'm not big on Coke sodas, but I say I reserve that for serious emergencies like last summer that saved me once but i'll drink the crappiest gas station coffee out there if i have to to get a caffeine fix (laughs) so you don't typically ingest caffeine it's just i drink coffee every day but leading up to something like this at least last year i uh i reduced my intake before uh leading up to the race so that smaller amounts would go a little bit longer for me um, and yeah, I only drank coffee, I think, halfway in Jacksonville at Whataburger, so mile 198 or something like that, and then halfway through the second day. Yeah, that's the that's the move. If you can get off ca- caffeine going into it and then, you know, use caffeine as needed, it can actually be a tool. Next one, tire choice. So this is always a fun question, obviously. Um, you know, conditions could have a factor and y'all saw that, but in your experience, well, I think there are two questions here. What did you run? I think the best way to answer this question is what tires did you run? 
And would you run him again or would you change him? And if you're going to change him, what are you going to change him to? All right, Davis. So last year I ran a Terravel Sparwood, which is just the big version of the Cannonball. Uh, you know, kind of like a raise, like smoother center, you know, knobbier on the side. I wouldn't change anything. Although I have some Prellies on my my new bike, which I'll bring those. And they've been great. I mean, there's no perfect tire. You just kind of run what you run. Yeah. And what what uh, width were those? Sorry. They're Terravel Sparwoods. But what what width? Oh, I'm sorry. 2.2. Two twos. Okay, thanks. All right, Lisa. Um, It was a huge... Well, the bike that I had is a cross bike. And that's uh, had a very limited you know, tire width that I can put on it. So I was actually riding 35s and I was, I consider myself super lucky that I made it through. I mean, the sun, the sand was pretty miserable. I did have a little breakdown at one point, just because every time I would go through the sand, I would immediately sink. Uh, but I made it with my 35s. I definitely would not do that again on 35s. I would do something bigger And just thinking like, if I would do it again, probably, well, with my only other bike, I have a Surly Long Haul Trucker, like a 26 with a 2.1 tires, my like kind of bigger-ish tire I can put on it, but definitely do not recommend 35s on that route. (laughs) But I did it, but I did it. So, you know, you're kind of pushing it there. (laughs) Oh, it's possible. I, uh, yeah, I've done something similar in, in that terrain with like 32 C tires, uh, it's doable, but it's definitely not, there's better options out there, but Hey, you can do it. You can do it. What do you got, Dave? Uh, so I rode, um, Panda racer, gravel King SKs, uh, 43s. I I don't think I would have changed anything. I think, um, the sand, the amount of sand, especially in the second day, like around mile 300 was just bigger tires would have been helpful. But I think for the majority of the, um, of the route though, I think I thought, 43s were pretty good. I was pretty satisfied with those. I don't, I don't think I would have changed very much with those for sure. You're kind of in the middle so far, Dave. We'll see. All right, Alex, what did, what did you have? I rode on Terravail Cannonballs 700 by 42 front and rear. I had absolutely no complaints about them. Uh, I mean, for me, mud is mud. You can put me on any tire and I'm just going to have fun with it. If it rained for twice as long, I probably may have considered the Terravail Rutlands. They're a little knobbier, a little more aggressive tread. But yeah, happy with what I chose last year. Yeah, yeah, right on. What do you got, Katya? So I had um, 700 by 40 Tour Rec Hutchinsons. They're not very well known. Um, it was just the biggest tire. Because remember, it was also COVID super hard to get parts. It was the biggest tire I could buy, like, you know, on that week, practically to put on my bike, I made it, you know, and it was okay ish this year. I'm going with 700 by 42 and I'm on Terra Vales cannonballs as well, but I could also do Max's rumplers 42s. I don't think they come with 42s. I've had really good luck with Max's in general, but saying, you know, about tour rack, it wasn't great in mud or sand, but I didn't flat not once. I didn't have any punctures over you know, 280 miles. So that was great. Yeah. So it sounds like around 42, 43 is kind of the general consensus. Uh, but Davis, I'm with you. I like, I I've, I've always ran it with the 2.2. So, oh, and Davis, I have to, uh, offer you a public apology because in the, 
uh, Dylan Morton episode, we called you Aaron. And it's all because it's in my defense, it's because your Instagram is ar.davis. And I always in my mind thought your name was Aaron. Uh, but anyway, I'm sorry. Your name is Davis. I'll accept your apology this time. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Only this once. If I do it again, you have your, uh, you have uh, every right to hold it against me for sure. <laughs> I meant to, yeah, dude, that was bad. I listened back to that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a dummy. I saw Dylan today. I should have given him a hard time about it. You should have. You really should, because he's the one that sees you every day, you know? I, <laughs> I feel like Dylan is is definitely uh, made more of an egregious error than me, and let's focus on that. I'm just the nameless guy that walks in the shop all the time. No, no, you're not. <laughs> all right, so now Lisa is going to talk to us about breaks. And I, I, this is an interesting question. First of all, I think the most important thing, and and I'll see what y'all think is, is brake pads are probably the most important aspect of bringing extra. Cause we saw so many people run through, through their brake pads. But I also want to just mention that Matt Mason is coming uh, with his single speed and is running uh, a coaster brake. And we'll be the first person to run the East Texas show at <laughs> the coaster break. So we can't talk about that yet, but we'll we'll have to get that from him. But Lisa, what you, what are your thoughts on breaks for the East Texas showdown? Um, well, in my experience, again, I think I was really lucky. I did have disc breaks and no mechanical issues, thankfully. And like I feel comfortable with it being able to do some mechanical like maintenance, you know, like while on the on rides, but um, but like changing out my brake pads would have been like a really, really hard thing for me. Uh, so thankfully, I did not have any major mechanical issues, uh, but I was running disc brakes. And um, just with the conditions, I think of the rain, it made it like that for a lot of people that they lost their brakes. But if it, the conditions maybe were otherwise or it wasn't so wet maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. Um, but yeah, my, my brakes stayed on. I mean, I had them the whole time. It was a little squeaky, but it didn't even rub that bad. Do you happen to remember, like, do you know exactly what brakes you had and even what brake pads? I have no idea what kind of brake pads I have, but no, because like, it's weird because I think when we go down the line, I'm curious, but I feel like 90 plus percent of the participants lost brake pads and you're one of the very few i'm surprised to hear that you're just like yeah okay yeah like i'm t like the combination of the small tires like the brakes and then and mechanicals thankfully everything went, went well for me that's what i was able to finish um i don't know what brake pads they are but i know that i haven't changed them out in probably a couple of years really so wow. they've been on there they've been on wow. there and they're yeah i mean it's a little cross by i don't know i think they're probably sponsored by your guardian angel at this point <laughs> i feel pretty lucky honestly i do i do all right dave <laughs> what do you got buddy all right so uh, i should preface it with by saying that my bike was i got my bike like two or three weeks before that race so everything was brand new i had no brake problems that ever uh, whatsoever very fortunately but also like knowing that first day what the rain was like and knowing that sam was coming up i tried to sparingly use my brakes like as much as possible just to sustain them because around oklahoma city where i'm from you get that red dirt you get like the rain mixed in your brake pads are just 
thrashed. So I really tried to save them that first day. And I think that that helped a lot, but also the fact that they were basically brand new. I mean, like two weeks old when I put them on. So, yeah, you came in pretty dialed. Yeah, thankfully, luckily. I mean, that bike I waited for, for of course, like a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it came in two weeks before that. <laughs> yeah, the timing was epic on that. That's awesome. What you got, Alex? Whew. Uh, my brakes went out five miles or so from the start. <laughs> <laughs> I was running on, I got that bike in uh, around my birthday. So I guess around August. And so it had seen heavy use in on a lot of single track around Houston. I traveled a little bit with it, did a lot of gravel rides immediately. So the brakes definitely had some use. And yeah, so that happened five miles or so in, <laughs> and it only got worse, even trying to be conservative. Uh, pretty sure they're just the stock resin pads. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and I think then Dave became your guardian angel. Yes, uh, precisely. <laughs> um, the nighttime was the hardest part because of that, uh, just because I didn't know what these corners we're looking like downhills. And so I was doing a lot of <laughs> foot scraping. So my fancy Shimano RX-7 or RX-8 gravel shoes became my brakes. Yeah. And uh, there were Instagram pictures to prove it. I mean, he, I remember whenever you came in, actually, one of the first things you did was like, look at the devastation to your shoes. And it was yeah. total, you know, total devastation. Yeah. I was going to say like single speed, you know, we walk, we walk uphills a lot, but we were walking downhills during that, during the nighttime <laughs> ride too, which is yeah, weird for sure. <laughs> that's so weird. Alex, you're a, you're a bike mechanic and Katya, you work in a bike shop too. So maybe do, do you have recommendations on what kind of brake pads, like the same kind of question I was asking Lisa, do you think that there's a certain kind of brake pad or brake system that would work better in those conditions? Alex, probably you think metallic had right not organic correct so that's that's probably best recommendation and carry spare yeah <laughs> definitely so metallic and spares yes uh you could also be smarter than all the disc brake riders and run you know can't deliver can't regular uh, rim well, brakes. Like, uh, <laughs> nick nick on a rivendell he was on Cantus. right He's super yep. badass but you know i want to say the course is not super healy um and i'm like lisa i did not uh, lose my pads i think it's because i didn't break because i was going so slow <laughs> honestly down here, I didn't have to break. I'm like barely moving with all that mud. Yeah. So, what kind of brake system did you have? You, I know you were, uh, yeah, you try hydro hydraulic brakes. I'm on hydros and with hydraulics. So, I would just recommend to take your bike to a shop before any big event, you yeah. know, like, and because parts are hard to get now, just, you know, come three weeks before. Because if you're hydraulics, we're going to bleed you. Make sure your pads are good. If you're a mechanical, at least we'll look at your cable stretch and stuff, you know, and we'll yeah. recommend you what pads to carry with you. I couldn't agree more. I don't, I mean, I, I um, envy the people that have the time and the ability to do all the work themselves. I personally don't. And so I am my guy and I drop off my bike before I go anywhere. I don't, I don't want to go on a trip and and be worried about mechanicals you know and so you know if i can get it to the bike shop and have them 
make sure every, you know, they check everything. They check, check the chain link. They make sure it's shifting right. They check the brake pads. They check everything and they make sure it's ready to go and I don't have to worry about it. So I think that's a, a good, good tip just for overall beyond brake pads, but just, you know, bringing in a, a healthy bike to a bike race. So the next question is about um, how much food and water should you carry? Uh, this is an interesting question because it comes down to speed. How fast do you want to go? Are you going to be stopping a lot? Are you going to be, um, you know, stretching your legs? And how much do you want to carry? So, um, you know, answer this question, I guess, uh, based on your own personal experience. Um, who are we starting with? Uh, Dave? Uh, sure. So I knew that uh, I carried three water bottles and um, limited amount of food. Cause I knew that there, the biggest stretch was about 60 miles and I knew like three water bottles, Texas, October, I bet that I was probably going to be okay with that amount of water with it. Um, but I knew there was you know, 60 miles was like the max in between stops. The only one I was worried about was like the middle of the route around like mile 190 or 200. Um, but there was a Whataburger in that town, which I knew would be 24 hours, which is like the lifesaver. Right. <laughs> uh, that was the only like stretch that I was really worried about. But, um, you know, I, three water bottles and that was, it worked for me through the whole race for sure. Yeah. And, and for perspective, I mean, you did win it along tied with, um, and y'all were on the showdown with, uh, Alex, what was your time, your overall time? I think like 35, 36 hours or so. 36 and change. Yeah. 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 Somewhere okay. around there. Like we, yeah, about 8 AM to almost 8 PM. So Cool. Well, like this is a perfect thing. segue to, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, to Alex. So y'all finished at the same time, both on single speeds. What was your uh, approach to food and water? I uh, picked up a lot of stuff along the way um, at just convenience stores. I had a bunch of like easy, quick bars to eat at, to munch on along the ride, but I tried to save that for the second half. What, what was that now, Alex? Just Tim? like quick, like fig bars, uh, like anything I could take a quick bite out of and grab from the grocery store. Uh, so not necessarily cycling specific uh, snacks, like scratch mix specific bars, goo makes gels, all that. I don't like goos very much. Uh, for water, I had four water bottles. I carried a camelback with me that I never filled up because uh, four water bottles turned out to be enough. <laughs> okay, so you had a you had a slush fund of water almost if you needed it, but never needed it. Yeah, my biggest concern being uh, between Jacksonville and whenever what store I come across the next morning opens, I wasn't sure if I was going to have water to continue through the ride through the night. Okay, but I did. Cool, Katya. So, um, I love camping and bike packing with like camp stove this time. I didn't bring any of that stuff. Um, I relied on my little coffee makers. I brought definitely hydration pills and electrolytes. So the electrolytes that I could, um, carry with me because I didn't want to drink just water, just like any of you or most of you, I only had two bottles on my bike. Um, I think I had an extra little bottle for my Jersey pocket, um, but yeah, because there's so many places to eat. So basically, if you can ride for 50 or 60 miles on what you have, then you don't have to carry anything extra. What I would say, kind of what Alex is saying too, is if you're heading into the night and you know there's going to be nothing open, 
that's what you want to be prepared for. So for example, I bought extra food on the second night. So I did it in two, what, two and a half days. So I wrote two full days, slept two nights, arrived Sunday morning or Sunday, like at 12. So on Sunday, when I got up, I was in the middle of nowhere and I made sure that I bought my burger before and it was soggy and disgusting, but it doesn't matter because you get up, you know, at five in the morning, you just shuffle whatever you have. And on that last day on Sunday, I was actually running low on water. Um, just because again, you know, I rode, you know, several hours uh, before then, then I, hammocked then I got up you know ate all I had and there was not much left and then I had about maybe 30 or 40 miles till the next stop I don't remember the names but that's when I was a little bit panicky because I didn't see any water source and I was even prepared to maybe use my filter because I had a filter just in case but then this beautiful town showed up and I just like milk (laughs) chocolate milk and red bull and like everything I could jam but yeah I'd say like you don't have to worry about carrying anything extra apart from 50 or 60 miles except when you're heading into the night or you're in the forest and 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 you just need to have maybe one extra meal right and you know, just a bit more water, like all of you, make sure your bottles are completely full. Uh, But now we're going to do it in April, right? So I checked the weather and it looks like it's going to be several degrees warmer during the day. And if it's sunny, then we all know how much water we go through. Yeah. I'm considering to have my hydration vest as well. So like if I'm doing a hundred mile gravel ride, I will have unsupported, I'll have two water bottles on the bike and the runner's vest. Not 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 the camelback, just the runner's fast, because I like water distribution better. Yeah. No, that's good. What about you, Davis? Uh typically, well, <clears throat> for this ride, I guess, I went out with like a just a water ball full of tailwind. And I had a two-liter bladder like in my frame bag. So plenty of hydration, a little bit of liquid calories. And uh pretty much just carried like I didn't start with anything like crazy, but just like some cliff blocks, some gels, like things to get me between stops, if you will. So just easy bike food, you know, a couple, maybe 2000 calories, you know, but, uh, you know, just stopping whenever I can and like getting real food for me is like, is everything, you know, that whatever, I think it's about 70 miles in, I think it's Spitfire grill, you know, they had some like really, you know, crappy, like wings, you know, like barbecue wings, they're boneless, but it was so great. You know, you put them in a plastic bag and just take them on the road with you and they're good to go. So, I mean, relied heavily on gas station food, just carried some like, you know, easy to eat gels and, and cliff box to kind of get me between towns. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I I'm with you, man. I got to have like some real food on occasion or, uh, it gets, it gets to be a real challenge. You're just shoving food in your face. What about you, Lisa? What did you do? Um, I did not bring a stove just for the sake of trying to be as lightweight and not really have the time to cook or make anything. Just, you know, those things can be bulky. So, yeah, I also relied on gas station food and wherever I could stop. Um, Had a few weird meals, hot Cheeto for breakfast and Gatorade. (laughs) And then until I got to the next stop and like actually get some other food. Uh, but mostly Wait, you ate, you ate like the, the cheese out of the vending machine for breakfast. 
What'd you No, eat? hot Cheetos, like the chips. Oh, the chips. Okay. Okay. I was that seeing was, nachos. Was I was seeing nachos. Um, no, not nachos. That would be pretty messy. Um, but I just, I don't know. I had like, I went to the gas station. I'm like, I kind of want hot Cheetos. I got a beer like at late at night, but what did save me. And I really appreciated that you did this. You had included the stops or like where the taqueria was at or like food where you could get food. And I, I did the same thing. I got tacos. And, um, like by the time I ended up in uh, mission Tejas state park, uh, my bean and cheese taco was all smushed up, but I mean, at that point I did not care. I was pretty, I was eating it in the shower because <laughs> I was like dead and I was hungry and it looked, it was just the best thing I could eat. And I ate it and I was, that taco brought me back to life. And yeah, definitely just like whenever it's going to be a long night or there's not going to be any stops so just bring something extra with you. But also just eating bars, gummies. I love gummies. And that that kept me going. A taco in a shower brought you back to life. Or a bean burrito in a shower brought you back. That is like the best story ever. I, I I slept in the in the bathroom because I needed my electronics to charge. And I just I slept in the bathroom because I needed to eat. I needed to take a shower, needed a charge, and the bathroom was my refuge. That's why you came in looking so fresh to the finish line. I yeah. did take a shower. Yes, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I why. It. I needed it because, yeah, I needed it. Yeah, respect though. Did anybody disturb you in the bathroom or were you able to get a solid night? Um. Well, I, I, I like I slept in there for probably two or three hours until like my stuff was charged. I, need, I needed to check my stuff, but I also wanted to like set up my hammock but no I mean it was it was really chill it was in the middle of the night I probably got there around 2 a.m so it was like the middle of the night if anything I maybe have disturbed people <laughs> just with my bike um sound and like just rattling around in there but I mean it was it was fine I had the whole restroom to myself which was nice I love it and that's bike packing people I love it okay this is a good question I think what is the toughest section of the course Alex, we're starting with you, and I think this could vary based on conditions, obviously. Um, but yeah, Alex, what, what's the most challenging part of the course? It's a split for me uh, because of my because of my circumstances last year. The hardest part was riding through the night because it was the it was roughly around the halfway point that was the hilliest parts of the route, aside from the death loop. This is a great loop. Uh, other than that, yeah, the way back leading up to uh, Groveton was probably like 20 to 30 miles of it. There was some pretty choppy, messy, sandy, all kinds of stuff just scattered along the gravel, even though it was a nice sunny day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would say technically the, the segment leading up to Groveton, that gravel, that sand, that you had posted in one of your videos very briefly leading up to the race. That was probably the most intimidating just thinking about before the race even started. <laughs> Good. I like a little fear. <laughs> what about you, Katya? Oh, the sand of Palestine. <laughs> That's why it's called the Palestine because you're, <laughs> you're in a desert. I mean, it's like the beach. I mean, there's like, it's nonstop. Um, I, I want to say 
whether it's dry or wet, that's going to be the hardest part for me again, mentally. The one thing that helped me is guys from Edo were there, Nate and uh, Calvin um, and CJ. And it wasn't me alone. We were just all hike a bike. <laughs> but other than that. And that section's hilly too. There's some of it. And the sand is pretty deep. And But you just do what you're going to do. You know, well, you just walk. And it, it's sad if you're alone, but if you see there's everybody else walking, you're like, ah, you know, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a pro tip. Yeah, if you're going to get stuck in the sand, do it with friends. It, yes. And it won't be as bad. <laughs> but if you're alone, it's going to suck 10 times worse. You're like, no one's even watching me do this. What What am I doing? <laughs> People are watching your dot. You do it for the dot watchers. That's why. You got to put on a show. Uh, all right. Davis or Aaron, whatever your name is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll go with Davis this time. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so it wasn't the hardest, but I think it may have been Groveton. Where that old school, it was like early 19th century. Yeah, that's not Groveton. Where is that? That's a tough section. That is a tough section. I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a community center center that was turned in or a school that was turned into a community center. Um, there's the whole history on the board there. I'm trying to see what mile that's at. I feel like it's like mile 55-ish, somewhere in there. I thought it was later. It's definitely before mile 100. I will say that's not the hardest section, but that one definitely <clears throat> comes to mind is one of them. Yeah, I think... I know where it is. I know where it is. It's between Love Lady and uh, what is this town? Pennington, probably around mile. Yeah, White Rock, uh, around mile 64. So, yeah, you were close. You were close. I feel like it took me forever to go like 10 miles through there and it just buried me and like hurt me for hours after before I finally like came back around. I don't know what was so tough about it other than just sand and hike a bike but this is also one i don't know where it is but it's like coming into the finish for the slowdown where there's like the nature preserves on each side mm -hmm. uh, there's a name for the road old groveton road okay so that yeah that was I the think hardest that's section. old groveton yeah, yeah okay so i think i was the first one coming through and it was still super wet and like muddy so i hiked a bike the entire time and i was so out of my mind I blew the last town thinking, oh, I'm about to be done. Well, in my wrong turns, I'd added quite a bit of mileage. So I was like, I'm going to be done. So I just kept rolling and ran out of water on that, you know, and it was all exposed and <clears throat> had no water filter, which was a mistake. But I was like looking for empty water bottles, seeing if I could like, you know, grab a little water out of somebody's like <laughs> throwing that water bottle. Oh my gosh, Davis. Wow. Yeah. I was what about like spot? a car going by? Well, it was so nasty. There was one car that came by and it's like they would, didn't want to lose momentum because they were going to get stuck because it was oh, so yeah. disgusting. I tried to like wave at them and they just kind of waved back and kept rolling. So I finally like got out and got to a town and there's some kids like in the yard like playing and I almost stopped and was like, hey, can I have some water? But then I was like, I don't want to be this like, I looked really disheveled. So I was like, I don't want to stop and like freak these kids out. So I kept rolling. <laughs> yeah, it's like this creepy guy on my bike that's covered in mud. <laughs> you 
and just out of my mind at that point. So finally, I found some like public service, like waterworks building that had a spigot on the side. And I was like, oh, thank God. I camped out there for about 10, 15 minutes before I rolled on. But if you're going into Old Grovens Road, take some water, especially if it's sunny out, because that was a terrible, terrible experience. <laughs> yeah, I think the two sections you outlined are two of the hardest sections. Um, the first section you talked about around Love Lady at mile 65 when we were having all the rain leading up to the race, that was one of the sections I was most worried about. And I was calling the gas stations at both end in Pennington and Lovelady and be like, Hey, does anybody happen to know like what the condition of that random road is? And, you know, and it's, I love old country town folk, you know, they're like, well, I don't know, Bob, did you drive down 2237 yesterday? You know, and then everybody's like talking and, it's just great, man. It's it's great. But uh, I, I, that's a tough section, and Groveton Road is a tough section. I've ridden it. When I did the uh, Grand Gravel in 2018, it was so muddy. I have a picture where my bike was completely suspended by the mud. No trick photography, just mud and bike fully loaded, completely suspended. Um, so it, now if it's dry, that section is like rutted out and kind of not fun and you could like eat shit because you get in a rut. But if it's dry, you know, it's just exposed. So Oh yeah, there was there was no riding. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I dude. And then it becomes instead of like a I don't know, an hour section, it's like a five hour section or something. So yeah, yeah. Good good to be aware of that section. Lisa? Um well, like you were saying, I think it depends at what point like you are at whatever section, because I was getting really complaining about after Grapeland. Like, I guess I was also like chill mode. I had just got my tacos. I was good. And OK, I got the rest. And then I hit this sand and it was so deep. I took off my shoes. I walked my bike, seemed for so long or I mean a couple of miles at least but I got off my bike and then um so I was just like complaining about that that sand and then having to get back on the same road that I was like wait I could have just gone straight why did he have to add the sand right here but I mean we had to go through it but then um then later in the night I hit Elkhart uh from Elkhart to Mission Tejas then I hit that part of the sand so it just like, I guess for me, it depended, like it was, it just kept getting more, <laughs> more intense or like harder. Um, but definitely, I think those, those two parts, I just vividly remember that part after Grapeland because it was like outside and I could see the sand. So it just seemed like an infinite road of sand. And then uh, at night, I mean, I couldn't really see every, like the sands in Palestine, I, I did cry at that point. That's like, I just, at that point, I'm like, I can't see where I'm going. I'm just going to sit here for a second, let it out and keep going. But, um, th those were the, the hard parts for me. Hey, that's always really impressive whenever you can like, um, conquer that emotion, you know, and like not let it conquer you because when you're all alone out there and you're in the sand and nobody's watching, you're like, you know, so props to you for uh, for keeping on. And you finished with a smile on your face, I know, because I was there. So, yeah. So I also had a lot of things like going on at that same time. So just with the multiple factors and then the, the road, too, was definitely like crushing on me. 
But my goal was like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to get to my campsite. Got to make it to Mission to House. And uh, I kept going, even though it was it was really hard. Uh, but yeah, those were that night. I think that day, day two for me was probably the hardest. Yeah. All right, Dave. Everything was easy for you? No. Uh, <laughs> like everyone else, uh, Groveton Road was just like the worst. But there was like, I think there was a stretch of pavement. Like you go into a town, then there's a stretch of pavement for a couple miles after Groveton Road. But then you hit sand again. And it was like, it was in the sunlight. It was like the right time of day. It was so hot. And the sand was still like kind of wet-ish. And it's like you could ride through it. But it just zapped my legs though. I mean, that was, you know, also like mile... 315 I don't know I mean 300 and something and um, that was the hardest part I mean even though it was daytime the sun was out like you have some rejuvenation um, but that stretch just killed me it was it was tough like I think at one point I like probably turned to Alex it was I'm done (laughs) it was it was hard it was bad yeah well like I have some thoughts after hearing all your responses and and one, uh, Lisa, you know, why did I go through the sand and not on this straight road? And the answer is I, I was trying to get off of pavement and away from cars as much as possible. And so I purposely took the most remote, you know, hopefully scenic, less populated route for, for a reason. But in my defense, I'd like to say that y'all rode that route in the worst conditions absolutely possible. And, you know, everything that we're saying here tonight could be completely, di- well, not everything, but in terms of like the sand and the conditions, I'm telling you, man, if we have a, you know, good conditions in April, this thing could be fast. You know, you're not going to see as much sand. You're not going to have all the mud and you're not going to be slowed down and people are going to be cooking. And so while y'all's experience is 100% right, and, and there's areas that if we get rain and, and if, you know, we get similar conditions, 100%, you know, we're, we're going to have some challenging sections. But if we have good weather, it's going to be fast and fun. And uh, yeah, Katya, what do you got? Patrick, yeah, I just want to say about Groveton, because I heard a lot about that road before the race, and I yeah. was a little bit terrified, like low-key terrified getting into it. But that's what we're talking about, different conditions. So I was coming in much later than the boys came because I, I was in Groveton on Sunday morning. And if you remember, Friday rained a lot. Saturday, we had no rain. So it had a whole day to dry. Night was dry. So by the time I got there Sunday early morning, like about nine-ish, it was fully dry. And I could see people walked. Like you could see there was a lot of bike and hike. But... I rode like pretty swiftly. I mean, it was still like you were saying, like it, that kind of mud, it gets very harsh and you have to choose your line and pick your line and kind of weave through it. But there was no walking over there at least. So definitely like de- it's so dependent on conditions. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's exactly. Uh, it, and, and that's kind of the fun of it, to be honest with you, is like it's all depending on the weather. And I can't control that. I can put together a route that I think is good. But, hey, if weather turns to shit, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Where do you poop? I mean. <laughs> you hold it. A you gas hold it. station. <laughs> Who else? Where else do you poop? 
<laughs> Either you don't, or if your stomach turns, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're going to go when you go. Yeah. You just carry some wet wipes. And they're good for all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. You can dig a hole with the back of your shoe, the heel of your shoe, if you got to. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's at that point. There's no waiting. <laughs> I, I had a little trowel or a little shovel and I never ended up using it. And it actually tore a hole in my bag. So maybe don't carry one because it might cause more damage than good in helping you out when you actually need it. But yeah, I had a little shovel and I had it on my, my forks and it made a hole just because all the bouncing and stuff. Just use the gas station or just go wherever you need to go. You know, nature calls, go when you need to go. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of resupply points. There's parks, there are, you know, like campgrounds. There, there's quite a bit of uh, resupply and potty options. So um, either use one of those or you can bring your own little trowel and then maybe cut a cut a hole in your bag. It's up to you. Um, this is a good question. Did anybody ride single speed and how did it go? I don't know, Alex and Dave. Did anybody ride single speed and how did it go? Uh, let's see. Let's start with Alex and then Dave. It went great. Uh, no mechanicals uh, other than brake issues, <laughs> but they didn't stop me from riding. <laughs> so what uh, what gear were you running? And, you know, did you did you like the gear you ran? Would you run something different? I think I was just a hair heavier than whatever what, what David uh, Dave was writing. Uh, I believe it was uh, forgive me, I can't remember, but it was either forty or forty two tooth up front and an eighteen tooth cog in the rear. It was solid. It worked out. Yeah, I mean, especially in those conditions, I can't imagine. You know, single speed is just one less thing to worry about. You had a lot of other things going on, so. Oh yeah, that one you didn't have to worry about. <laughs> What about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I ran 42.18. That's kind of like the standard. I feel like you could have actually gone a little bit stiffer than that like because the hills were – any hills that you'd have to walk, you'd have to walk whether you were a little stiffer or not. Um, but I thought like there was enough flat. There was enough other parts. Like I probably could have gone to like like 44, 45.18, somewhere around there. Uh, but I would – I mean – I wouldn't change riding single speed for anything. It was it was a great course, I thought, for single speed. It was a lot of fun, for sure. Yeah. I do think it's a good single speed course. I mean, it's all um, pretty rolling, except for, you know, up by Palestine is where most of the climbing is. And, and you're right. You're going you're gonna to hike a bike in that section anyway. So might as well err on the side of a little bit stiffer, whatever a little bit stiffer means to the person listening. But yeah, it's all, I think the topography is mostly like undulating and rolling hills. And we don't have much big big climbing in Texas, but were any of y'all surprised by the climbing that was on the course? Dave, you start. Yeah, right after um, I guess it was Jacksonville, kind of like the one hundred ninety mile, two hundred mile point. There was like a like, there was like a neighborhood. I remember you talking about this. Like, yeah. it's kind of like a weird mix of like nice houses and everything. There were a lot more like not sustained climbs, but like longer than what I'm used to coming from central Oklahoma, you know, so they're still not very long, but I was, I was surprised by that section in the climbing. I mean, luckily it was like after Whataburger and I was feeling way better than I had been before then, but, uh, it was, it was more than I had expected for sure. Yeah. Anybody else surprised by the climbing at all? 
Um, I think after Elkhart for me, it, it was, um, I hadn't really looked at the elevation like seriously or the route or anything. It was just like, okay, this is what I got to do. But when it came to this, when it came to Elkhart after Elkhart, there was those punchy little climbs right there. Like it was just like, but it was paved so easy, but still was, were pretty steep. Some sections that, that, that did surprise me. Um, because I knew I had a lot of writing to do after that. Um, so that, that part kind of surprised me. It surprised the crap out of me. The first time I rode up there, I was, I was like, I'm not ready for this. What's going on? Luckily it's, yeah, I mean, it was nice. Yeah. It, oh, it's beautiful. And those descents are awesome, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's just that short lived. And I think if you know that kind of going in is like, there's going to be some punchy stuff kind of in the middle, but it, it kind of smooths back out after that. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have any thoughts on that before we move on to the next question? The death loop. Um, yes, I want to talk about the death loop. Yeah, I don't have anything to gauge it uh, or to compare it to because I haven't tried it by itself, although I mean to. Uh, and because that was, what, mile 340 to 380, something like yep. that. So I was already severely fatigued and delirious. But yeah, that seemed to be, it threw me for a loop. I mean, I didn't expect it. I know I saw the graph before the race, but I was so tired that, I mean, climb after climb after climb after climb on these highways, I was just getting a little little anxious with some of the traffic, but not that they were doing anything wrong. I just wasn't ready to continue climbing for the final 40 miles of the ride when everything looked to flatten out (laughs) on the graph. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up the death loop. I meant to mention that because nobody brought up the death loop, but not every actually, I guess two out of the five rode the death loop, right? So um that would be part of the reason. But Dave, what about you? What were your thoughts on the the death loop? Dun, dun, dun. Oh man. Well, I mean, yeah, the death loop, it you know, it was kind of rejuvenating, like passing y'all, it was kind of surreal in a sense, because I didn't totally see everybody until like the last moment um and it was only like 30 or 40 miles but it it did kind of feel like a lifetime um the climbs right out of there on the pavement were kind of excruciating honestly (laughs) but it was worth it though once we got to the national forest i mean that was beautiful that was some of my favorite riding other than like um i don't know what mileage it was like early in the morning like 6 7 a.m earlier that day but um like in the mid two hundreds, but it was, it was beautiful. That last 40 mile loop. That was around whenever actually we caught up with you. We being the photography crew, we caught up with you on day three. Um, y'all were, y'all were looking good and feeling good. Y'all were in the sweet spot. I think before you got to the death loop <clears throat> now oh, before Groveton. Yeah. I want to ask y'all. Yeah. Before Groveton. Yeah, exactly. Um, coming on to the death loop, we have two options there. You could pass by the bullet and go directly back into the national forest and onto gravel or and then finish on that pavement or keep going down the pavement and then finish the way I have it. I did it the way I did it to kind of like so you finish with, you know, kind of the good stuff, the the national forest and you finish with that gravel and that's the last taste you have. I don't know. What do you think as people who have have done it? Would you change it or keep it the same? I would keep it the same. 
uh, just being the very tail or the tail end of the ride. Uh, I would rather be on gravel and not worry as much about traffic as if we had to do it the opposite way. Yeah, Dave. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, as excruciating as it is, like that pavement right out of there, I'd, it was an awesome finish for sure. That like the descent going into the the grill, it was just it was beautiful. Yeah, I would keep it the same. Yeah, yeah, and to uh, address what you're saying, Alex, about the traffic, I agree. Um, that is one of the biggest challenges that I think we face in Texas is getting away from cars, and that's why I prioritized it. And the whole reason the death loop even happened was because I was a reroute away from an even sketchier uh, route option. And so it was kind of the lesser of two evils, but it's kind of taken an own on its own evil of itself. And I like it. I like it a lot. I love the fact that you have to ride past the bullet and make that decision. <laughs> and then you have to live with that decision for the next 40 miles. It's like, Davis, you're second, shaking your head. Uh, actually, okay, so Katya and Davis, you are both going to be taking on the death loop for the first time this year. Uh, Katya, hearing all this, Davis, hearing all this, Katya, you start. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Are you looking forward to it? Are you scared? What are you thinking? Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. I am scared and looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of sadomasochistic <laughs> relationship <Yeah>. with this <laughs> route. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's the right answer, Davis. I'm not looking forward to it. <clears throat> Solely for the fact that it's like if your like wife drives by in the car, and when you're in the middle of one of these races and you're that deep, and like you want to get in, I mean, I feel like chances are you might say yes. So like if you remove that option, it's a lot easier to keep going. But if I like ride by literally my car sitting right there and there's like cold beer and hot food inside. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting dilemma. So you have some options. You can just ride past, which almost everybody did. Most people were like, if I stop, I'm dead. You know, most people just kept on riding, but that's, that's kind of the question is like, do you stop and refuel? Cause it's a great refuel spot. They got a great restroom. All your friends are there, you know, whatever. You want to stop and refuel, or do you keep on going? What do you think you're going to do, Davis? Katya, what do you think in this moment? What do you think you're going to do? Keep going. Okay. I'm keep going. I might be uh, mad about it, but I'll keep going. <laughs> I'll probably curse you more than I did last time. <laughs> I'll take it, man. And then I'll let you give me a hug. That's fine. <laughs> Deal. I told Dave, uh, David, that I was going to stop for a pretzel and a beer at the Bullet. And about maybe 50 miles out, I decided that was a really bad idea. So, yeah, we stopped at the gas station or convenience store just before the turn, before you could see us, so that I could at least enjoy that beer real quick. And then, yeah, we decided to bypass the, the grill. Yeah, that's what I would absolutely recommend, like stopping at the gas station outside of town because we had like the refuel. Alex had the beer one of several like <laughs> throughout the whole ride but uh um, awesome. we were ready to go like after that and like the other thing too about the death loop that i didn't get to mention is like it's it's long enough that it's like it's a big deal i mean that's 40 miles right it's not like 15 or 20 miles it's like that's yeah. a commitment to go that last 40 after all of the other miles you've been on so like mentally just you got to be there for it for sure yeah 
I think that's the fun, man. I think I, I'm glad that it happened. It was kind of a happenstance, but I'm glad because it's taken, it'll take on its own thing, but it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And I, th- and, and what you said is, is right. There's a gas station, like probably half a mile before you get to the bullet and you can stop there. You That's a great strategy. Stop, refuel, get yourself situated, go to the bathroom and then ride by with a smile on your face and regret your decision for the next 40 miles. But you know, <laughs> that's so good. All right. Uh, bugs. We got quite a few questions about bugs and obviously bugs can change, uh, depending on the time of year, but how bad were they? Would you recommend insect repellent? Would you bring a tent or something to shield you from the bugs? Lots of questions about bugs. Maybe I'm a terrible person to ask because I have a tick disease that I got riding bikes because I never carry bug spray or tents or anything, but I wouldn't carry anything because <laughs> just time of year, there's not gonna be a lot of bugs. I mean, Texas and Arkansas are fairly similar. I feel like that time of year, you'll be safe. Lisa. We must coexist with all the other creatures in the world and sometimes they're insects. And uh, I think that's also part of being outdoors. You just like, it may be freaky. You're like, oh shit, there's a lot of, bugs or ants going up this tree as I'm setting up my hammock, but it's like, okay, I'm going to do this really quick. Like you just have to kind of deal with it, but I also haven't been there in the time where I know mosquitoes can get really bad. So also be careful. I mean, it's, um, can also be preference. Some people attract more bugs than others. Um, so it could be like that if you're worried about mosquitoes more, um, but that's completely valid too. Like you, if you want to, um, you know, defect insects and stuff, but, uh, for my sleep setup, I did have a integrated net into my hammock. Uh, so I was not worried about bugs at night, but that might be helpful to sleep more comfortably. Oh yeah. What hammock system are you using? It's a REI. Um, the strap system is not really that great because it can't really go for really wide trees, but, um, it's nice that you can adjust it and it just has the integrated bug net into it. But, uh, I mean, I slept all right. Um, it was also like, because of the rain was concerned about, you know, if it was going to rain more, but I ended up leaving my tarp, um, in the car cause it didn't look like it was going to rain, but actually, no, I did. I did bring my tarp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I brought my tarp and I brought my hammock. Like, so yeah, I did have it because I was worried about the rain. Cool. Dave is gone. <clears throat> Bye, Dave. Dave is partying. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what was your strategy to the bugs? How did you find them? And how did you deal with them? I didn't find them that bad. I think like it, it really will. Like, like Lisa said, it's like, it depends on your person, like how affected you are by them. I didn't really notice it to be a problem. Um, of course, October, riding straight through, like even at night, though, it just, it, you know, when you might expect mosquitoes like i just it didn't i didn't find it to be that big of an issue for me at the time at all so um and i didn't have a sleep set up because i was planning on just riding through so i can't speak to that really (laughs) what about you alex i know you're not sleeping either i did not Uh, i packed a hammock though just in case and that was a waste of time and space and weight uh i think the biggest nuisance would be most times of year at least in east texas has been mosquitoes everybody deals with it out here 
if you're going to sleep, I would definitely recommend something with some kind of a bug net. So probably a, a bug bivy if you're not if you're okay sleeping on the ground. Uh, that, like Lisa said, a hammock with an integrated nut. I have a hammock with a with an additional uh, bug net that I can wrap around it as well. But yeah, other than that, all the other insects are relatively harmless. I mean, they won't mess with you if you're not messing with them. Oh yeah. I think the biggest thing that you really have to worry about as a lifelong Texan and native to this area is mosquitoes and chiggers. I mean, both of which are not going to, uh, you know, be other, anything more than annoying. And so it kind of comes down to your personal tolerance with it. Katya, I know you also are a hammock sleeper. Oh, I wanted to mention real quick. We're talking, we, uh, several people have mentioned hammocks. One nice thing about this route that I prefer is a hammock campers. There's lots of trees. All those loblolly pines make excellent uh, hanging trees. And so for all you hammock campers out there, this is your this is your paradise. Uh, mm-hmm. So Katya, what was your uh, yeah, what was your experience with the bugs and how'd you deal with them? There were no bugs. There's just no bugs in October. Oh. Uh, April, I don't know. Um, if I so where I ride here, uh, we have a natural preserve, George Bush Park, which gets super mosquitoy, a lot of mosquitoes in there. And I will be using that as a judgment call whether I bring my little DT, whatever spray or not. But you can get a super small bug spray, super small. Um, yeah. It's like, I don't know how many ounces, but I didn't need any, not in October. I almost feel like. Um you know, mosquitoes are the, are the biggest concern and, and they can change so much and so rapidly. Uh, I almost feel like out on social media, we should probably, um, you know, like mosquitoes are really bad right now or mosquitoes aren't so bad. <laughs> like it's the just, weather forecast. <laughs> yeah. Like a, like a mosquito forecast. Yeah, exactly. It's like the weather looks like this and the mosquitoes look like this. So, cause I think that's relevant. I mean, yes. for me personally, if I'm going to sleep, I don't want to get eight alive. I just came back from big Ben. It's funny. I mean, I got chiggers all over and I'm a, I'm a mess right now. Uh, I got, yeah, I got spots everywhere. Um, so I'm all about protecting yourself if you can. Um, okay. Cool camping spots. Salmon Lake. I knew. All right. I knew, I knew you, you love Salmon Lake. So why don't you start with Salmon Lake? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everyone to jump in. I just, uh, I did everybody stay there. Did you guys stay there? Salmon Lake. Oh, guys, you missed out. So it has a it has a camping spot like in the center with a roof. So if it rains, but it has peelers. So if it rains, you can still put your hammock. Check it out. The peelers have power access. So you can charge your phone while you're sleeping under the roof in a hammock. I mean, all, all of these factors. Plus, bonus, it had a hose outside of this whole meeting area. So we all came with bikes that were trashed. And the first thing you did is you could actually hold your bike down. I washed my bike, I lubed it right there before I even went to the shower. And it's just, it's a beautiful little spot during the day. I actually would love to go visit it, but I feel that's where I'm going to try to stay uh, this time in April. So I'm gonna try to ride, do the loop and come back there 
before I continue, because I am planning to take a little sleep. I would love to stop there. They have fantastic showers. The showers inside are warm with mirrors and toilet paper and they're wooden. They have <laughs> actual, like, it just smells like pine. I mean, it's such hey, luxury. That sounds like luxury. I want to go there just it's regularly. really good. I want to go if there you just, I, like, if you want to bike pack, just do a trip through Sam Houston to David Crockett. Choose Lake Salmon as your stopping ground. And then, like, outside of that spot where we stayed under the roof, there are all these old cars converted to sculptures and stuff. It looks like Ray Bradbury movie, you know, Daffodil Wine or whatever. It's really, really cool. The owners are awesome, too. They, uh, they're they super nice to cyclists. We let them know when we're coming through, and they're extremely accommodating um, they have, Oh, I wanted to mention that's at mile 120. Um, so if I was going to do this route, me personally, I would camp at mile 120 at Salmon Lake. And then I would camp at, uh, Mission Tejas, which is at mile like 190, I think. Where are you Mission? Yeah, Tejas. it's earlier, but I ended, up, I ended up, I ended up, Oh no, uh, 250. Camping. That's what it's, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, that I just ended up camping sooner before that that i wish i had camped there because i camped at radcliffe and that was like maybe 90 like but i could have gone more to do more miles in the first day so no just, radcliffe I mean, is after uh oh wait no wait hold on Why i stopped I sc- before the slowdown. My- yeah for the slowdown like i saw st- i went into radcliffe to stop the first night and then oh. like, but, I, but that's a good option if you want to ride more on the first day ride and go camp at uh lake salmon or, or what is it called yeah lake salmon no yeah. i i'm with you now so lisa what you're saying is on night one you camped at rat uh ratcliffe lake and yes. you wish you had went a little further to lake salmon Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, well, listen, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a good option for people. Lake Ratcliffe is kind of sandwiched in between the route at mile 90 and mile 260. And so regardless of whether you're going out on the route or coming back, you know, you get off route like a half a mile or something and and you're at Salmon Lake. So, or not Salmon Lake, uh, Ratcliffe Lake. Um, which, which was intentional. So there is that option to camp there. It's a great campsite. Uh, but I think, yeah, if you could push on to that 120 market salmon lake, uh, that's probably a, a better option if you can make it there. Right. Is that, are we on the same page, Lisa? I agree. Um, I did reserve beforehand, just thinking like, I knew that's where I was going to stop. Uh, but I could have gone more and, how that impacted day two was like, it, it just kind of has that effect. You know, if you kind of get it in more on your first day, you, your the other days can work out differently for you. But uh, I wish I had done that. It was also really nice, like Radcliffe. Um, that could be another night if you're like, you know, doing the larger loop, if you want to sleep there. Um, it is really nice and had showers and everything. Uh, I wish I had a hose though, because after all that sand and mud, I, I just put it near the spigot and just with my bottle of water, just trying to get it off. But a hose sounds nice. For <laughs> it's really good. Luxury. <laughs> 
Yeah, the only uh, downside to Salmon Lake, I think, was having a bunch of bike packers sleeping underneath that roof and the sound and the echo that would. Uh, so my understanding was anytime someone would come in or wake up and leave, it kind of woke everybody up almost. Uh, we managed. <laughs> <laughs> but the only reason you had to do that was because it was raining, right? Otherwise, there's dispersed camping you and you anywhere. don't have to. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah, again, it's a, it's a great option. The owners are super awesome. Uh, Davis, uh, Davis, what what were your thoughts on favorite camping options? Did you even camp? I don't even remember. No, I did not. I stopped in Mission Teos for a short time to wash my face off and, you know, just eat and sit for a second. So it looked like a great place to stop and camp. <clears throat> but from there... I kept riding and I was falling asleep on the bike It, I don't even know what mile. It was like 30 minutes before sunrise. And I came up on, I think it was Ratcliffe, the town, not the campground. So it was like 200 and some odd miles. And there was a church there and I slept behind the church. And I recommend it was 10 out of 10. There was moss. It was nice and soft. So if you're, uh, you know, in a bad way and need to sleep behind the church, Ratcliffe is you know, the place to stop. Let me see here. So that's at mile 260. And there's a church there, huh? Yes. There's an Exxon station. Oh, right across Ratcliffe the Baptist Church. I see it with the yeah, Exxon. Like directly across. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The gas station wasn't open yet, or I would have stopped and like got some caffeine. But at that point, I was determined to either drink a lot of caffeine or sleep. So it was an obvious choice at that point. So that brings up a, a good question. Somebody had asked about um, camping options and and our thoughts on stealth camping. And so this is kind of in the same vein as, as good camping spots. And uh, only two out of the five of y'all actually slept. Um, but I, I have some thoughts and, and then we'll, we'll get y'all's thoughts as well. But um, I think, you know, on day one, I think uh, at, you know, around mile 90 at Ratcliffe, um, or mile 120 at Lake Salmon are going to be the best options. And then once you get into Davy Crockett National Forest, which is at, you know, it depends on if you're on the showdown or the slowdown, but on the showdown, it's at about two, uh, mile 245. There's just unlimited camping first you have mission tejas state park which is uh, a beautiful campsite um, you can eat a burrito in their shower and rejuvenate yourself and then sleep in the bathroom and uh, come out feeling fresh and fine i highly nice recommend it trees. it is a great group site area it's nice and big Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a beautiful state park, and we're not there to tour, but it's a great place to lay your head down. Uh, Ratcliffe, like Lisa said, is also. Um, what is Ratcliffe like, uh, Lisa? You're the only one that has stayed there. So what what was Ratcliffe like spe uh, specifically? It's similar to Mission Tejas, where it has that um, you know that long entrance into it, but once you get into the middle. Actually, recently, um, a group of friends, we went to do the restaurant tour, and it kind of reminded me of uh, Huntsville State Park, kind of a little bit like that, where, you you know, it has like that lake in the middle and really open. It was really nice, but I did, again, reserve beforehand in anticipation. But if there was a group site or something, that could definitely be another good option. 
but yeah, I mean, it was pretty quiet. It was nice. The, the lake right there. You never, uh, you never told me how the restaurant tour went. You're supposed to tell me how, or how oh, it went. Oh, uh, I, I, it's just been a week. It was just last week. This is my recap with you that it was, uh, it was <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We ended up going to another restaurant, uh, further down. Cause we missed that first taqueria, fiesta taqueria. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was really nice. The day two, we did, we just drove to bullet grill cause we had to drive back to San Antonio, but, uh, it was a, it's a really cool route. I could see how, if you don't need, need a stop at the restaurant, you can still kind of like go that direction and do the rest or camp further along, but it's a really awesome, uh, awesome route. And I, we saw a lot of gravel riders out there. I, guess this past weekend was the the um prison city prison, prison city gravel yeah there was a lot of gravel um cyclists out there we got lost trying to find the hidden lake very very lost uh taking the Whoops. yeah and that's the fun part of finding something hidden right you got to go through adventure a lot of adventure yeah. so did you follow the line on ride with gps or what um to the hidden lake yeah um, my, I relied on my friends. They had maps and stuff, but, uh, uh, y'all, they should have called me, <laughs> but we managed somehow we, f- we followed something and, uh, went through the little channels there and, uh, hiked a bike. Uh, but we found the lake. There was a boy scout group, a big group out there. There were, uh, the whole lake was, had a lot of people actually that one day this past weekend. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot, lot, lot of groups, so it's uh, pretty found now. I know. I went out there and rode it with my girls a couple weekends ago or three weekends ago, and there was five bike packers. No, there was five cyclists, and four of them were doing the Sam Houston restaurant tour. And it was like, whoa, you know, people are yeah. out here riding. It's great. We did run into some other um, bike packers, too. Yeah. That's yeah, cool, man. The, the Hunter uh, campsite, which is an also a really nice place to camp. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to talk more to you about that, but we'll keep this one with the East Texas Showdown. So more thoughts on camping is uh, I, I've marked uh, all the Hunter camps on uh, on the route or that are close to the route that are just primitive camping. And then the nice thing about this year is that dispersed camping will be allowed in the National Forest. When we did it the first year, it was hunting season. Whoops. And uh, so this year, you don't have to worry about, you know, Texans and their rifles or shotguns or or whatever. Uh, so you can disperse camp. And like I said, I think, uh, you know, a hammock, uh, if you're into hammock camping, is, is a great option because there's just endless trees. And you can hang up. You don't have to worry about a flat. You don't have to worry about everything being cleared out. You can just hang your hammock and get a good night's rest or whatever you need and uh, keep on going on. Okay. We're down to the last couple questions. Y'all are doing great so far. I will nominate a winner when we're done and your check will be in the mail. Tips on not getting lost using GPS trackers. I personally only use Ride with GPS on my iPhone. I don't have one of those fancy GPS units. Um, so I have nothing to offer here. Um, but does anybody have tips on using GPS to not get, all right, Davis. Don't rely on your phone. Fight is the <laughs> one that's going to fail the earliest. <clears throat> I mean, I've had nothing but good luck with Garmin. 
And the phone, I feel like, is always secondary because it's not as reliable. I mean, my garments never let me down. Yeah, that's interesting. But then we have Andrew Honormaugh, who was not using a Garmin. He was using a Wahoo. But, you know, the reason he had to, well, he finished, but I mean, he didn't, he, uh, what technically withdrew from the race or whatever, disqualified, uh, because he went off route due to the fact that his device malfunctioned. Uh, and, and we heard several people talk about devices malfunctioning due to the rain probably that came down. I think redundancy is good. I mean, I, I, if I had more money, I would also have a GPS device, um, and, and then maybe use the phone as a backup. But, you know, to, to kind of counter what you're saying, I found, uh, and I, and maybe I've just been lucky, but my iPhone, if you put it in an airplane mode, power saving mode, and you have ride with GPS on and you only turn it on if you need to, if you would need service, you need to call somebody, you know, that's there for you. But they didn't ask about iPhones. They asked about GPS. So who else did, did everybody else use the GPS unit? I had a Garmin too. Wahoo. Wahoo. Yeah, Wahoo. I was and that was fine. There was one tricky spot after Jacksonville, like whatever mile it was, it was just like a hundred and eighty degree turn, but it didn't show up on the map as well. But that was like the only issue I had and everything. That was, was where the routes joined together. That's where we that, met the other guys, right? right? That's yeah. Right. It's just yeah, yeah. really you had to really, really zoom in to be able yeah. to see that. Okay. That's um, good to know. Yeah, I had issues and Dave actually helped me a little bit with it. Uh, I think just before the first day ended, but my Wahoo, while I was riding the first 90 miles by myself, kept kind of glitching out to where it would lose signal. And I I almost ended up in a similar situation as Anima. Anima. I, uh, I just noticed that it wasn't tracking quite right i mean i knew when ben certain a certain turn or a certain bend would be coming up and i could gauge the distance uh to that intersection and i noticed just at the right time that the gps was kind of lagging behind on that and later throughout the day when we caught up to each other and we were chatting a little bit he brought up that the spot tracker might actually be or the gps from the spot tracker might be interfering with the gps from the uh, wahoo and so as soon as i separated the two and i initially had them both up front because it's recommended you have the spot tracker facing the sky so that it's got the best uh best accuracy possible as soon as i put that in my jersey pocket left the computer up front i ceased to have any of those issues (laughs) so i yeah i kept it uh the spot tracker in my jersey pocket the rest of the ride obviously it wasn't raining and super cloudy for the rest of that ride anyways so i didn't have any issues after that yeah, that's a really good point. Good and I'm point. Mm-hmm. super glad you brought that up. So what I would recommend and what is probably the right thing to do, the best system is to keep your two GPS units as far away as possible. I've always fashioned my uh, GPS, my spot tracker onto my saddle bag mm-hmm. on the very top. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a GPS unit, you put that on front where you can see it. And, and you have that separation, but that is a really important tip and they can interfere. And I wonder, now I want to ask Anurma, uh where his GPS spot tracker was, because now I'm kind of curious, you know. But, you know, like we were talking about GPS units versus phones, uh, because it rained so much, a lot of us lost our phones. 
I know a bunch of people who had to get new phones after the rain because it just water gets everywhere. And I, I'm very guilty of it because I'm taking a lot of videos for marketing for my shop too. Uh, and um, it, my, I mean, I had to get a new phone three days later. I had zero connection, no maps, no internet, no phone calls after the first day. And like, I think put your phone away, protect your connection. And use like Wahoo Garmin, especially if it's wet. I'd go uh, a step further and just say to everybody, because it's 2022 and not everybody knows how to do it anymore, buy a laminated map and learn how to read it. Yes. <laughs> Good point. Uh, so the last question that I would like to ask y'all, and this one is from me, but... uh. What did you learn the first time that you'll do differently the next time that you'll do it? And uh, Lisa, you still have to answer, even though you're not signed up officially, I'm going to, you're going to have to do it again eventually. So uh, um, I don't know. Let's start with uh, Davis. What did you learn the first time and what are you, what will you do differently this, this go around? Well, I definitely learned if it's raining. I'm going to bring a second pair of bibs and I feel like Andrew could uh, second that if he was on the call. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> Cause he was in a bad way. I was also in a bad way, but not that bad. Um, so let's just, let's just pause and, <laughs> and give that the tribute it deserves because I think one of the highlights of the entire East Texas showdown the first year was listening to Andrew's explanation of what was going on <laughs> inside of his uh, jersey. You know, it's like sandpaper. Yeah, it was it was pretty epic. He talked about duct tape. He talked about a cast. There was lots of discussion going on, but that was one of the highlights for me. Uh, just sitting around the bullet grill and listening to him talk about the carnage uh, that it did to his nether region. And uh, man, respect, honestly, respect though, like to you and everybody. I mean, like those were some rough conditions for real. So y'all had to put up with some serious conditions, everything, you know, y'all, everybody who completed, and even if you didn't, I mean, that, that was the real deal. You didn't get a, no one got a hall pass on the first year, you know? Oh, absolutely. That sand was devastating, to say the least, in more ways than, <coughs> excuse me, more ways than one. Uh, so second thing I learned that I'll take forward from any race, not just these takes showdown, is to take better notes. Like I, I typed out all my like mile markers for resupplies on my phone and took a screenshot, so it was my background, so I could just like pull my phone out and look at it and say, okay, mile 200 is, you know, this or that. But specific to the East Texas Showdown, there's, I think it's called, is it Wedges? Is that yeah. how you pronounce it? So that's where Mission Tejas is. So I wrote down the city name, Wedges, and I, but camp beside it. And I should have put the name of the campground because as it turns out, whenever it's, you know, you've been riding for 18 hours, whatever it is, and you're looking for this campground so you can like stop and get some water and do whatever. I pulled my phone out. And I look for a wedges campground. Well, there is a wedges campground down the hill, like six miles. And it's like a, I don't know, a couple hundred foot climb 
back out. So I went down there and there was no water and there was no anything. It's like a primitive camp. So then I had to ride back up and realize that Mission Teos was in fact in Wedges and I was not looking for Wedges campground. So more detailed notes is uh, <laughs> important. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're riding it, you know, probably with your full attention on what you're doing. But when you're reading it, you're going to be like half brain cell, tired, hungry, grumpy, sleepy, whatever. So, yeah, good, good notes. Lisa, what about you? Would definitely ride more the first day and like plan out your day a little bit more because the first day you just kind of do more mileage and go further and maybe you can finish it less time. And I think, yeah, maybe just kind of pushing your limits a little bit more. I mean, yeah, in my case, I had planned for it. I had planned to stay there and also being a woman and being by myself, I was really more concerned about my safety, but also having the GPS tracker did make me feel safe because I was being watched. Uh, I didn't feel completely like, okay, yes, you're out there, but we can find you. Um, you know, you're, you know, it just doesn't feel like kind of like that. So, um, yeah, I would probably just push further on the first day or the first, uh, really big effort, I guess. Yeah. Day. Yeah. I think, uh, kind of day one's your opportunity to, to get a good push. Cause you're going to be feeling the best maybe, but then if you spend it all on day one, then what are you going to do day two and three? So you got to find the balance. What about you, Dave? And you're, you're not able to come back this year too, but I know that you would love to, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah. What did you learn and what do you think you might do differently the next time? Yeah, I absolutely would love to come back. I mean, I, I wouldn't really change a lot. I had, um, the time of my life on that ride. I mean, it was hard as hard as shit, but like, it was so much fun though. I got to meet Alex, got to ride with him. I got to meet all of you. Um, I think like the, the only thing I would change is, um, like I think Davis mentioned, like <laughs> I didn't bring an extra pair of bibs. I brought extra socks, which were really helpful, but I probably would have brought a change of bibs just cause that second day was, I mean, that sand, definitely got in some places and I didn't have the uh, bad luck that Andrew had, but, um, it was weird. <laughs> uh, other than that though, I really wouldn't have changed anything like single speed gearing, maybe a little stiffer. Um, I, I had the time of my life. I had a lot of fun. I thought you set up everything great for us to have a really good ride, whether you were trying to race it or whether you were trying to just ride it as you wanted to like chill pace. It was, it was a great time. I, I'm sad. I can't be there this year for sure. Yeah, man. I'm bummed. You can't be there either. You'll be there in spirit. You can watch some dots and cheer on and and get that perspective of it this year. And we might even do it in the fall. Who knows? I haven't decided yet. So there might even be another fall one. I don't know. One thing at a time right now. I'm just trying to bite off one piece of the elephant at a time. What about you, Alex? So you are coming back. Yes. Um, I definitely won't be packing as much as I did. I carried a whole saddlebag filled with my hammock, a second pair of bibs, which I used two pairs of socks, which I used the second pair of, I didn't use a third. Um, yeah, I don't need any of that crap though. So probably just the second <laughs> pair of bibs and all that water. <laughs> Katya. Um, so in general, I consider my ride very successful for slow down. <laughs> I pat myself on the shoulder so because everything worked out. Um, but the tire. So for the tire, I would definitely, I'm running 700 by 42 for sure. 
And um, I hope it will work out this time. <laughs> we'll see. It's 100 more miles in the same period of time. So it's a slightly different thing. We'll see. What will, what will your approach be different this year, you think? Do you have a, a strategy of where you're going to sleep each night? Yeah, um, I think um, I'm going to ride as much as possible on the first day. Um considering that we can do dispersed camping and I don't have to worry too much about anything. Um, I think just before the night, I'm going to make sure I have enough food for the dinner and the breakfast, whatever I stop in case there's nothing available and I'll have space to carry it, make sure to have enough water to last me through that period of time when there's nothing available. Um, So, you know, hopefully, I don't know, maybe I can cover 160 miles in the first night sleep somewhere on the side of the road, doesn't matter, church, cemetery, whatever, as long as I can put my hammock and ride as much as I can on the second day. Um, And if I can manage with one night, it would be great. If I arrive Sunday lunchtime, that would be great. I'm I'm pretty open-minded. I mean, I just want to finish before the party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the fun part. Everybody wants to finish before the party. And (laughs) You know, I've had people wonder if like that's the cutoff and there is no cutoff, but I tried to design it in a way where most people, even if, you know, you kind of take a lollygagging pace like I would take, you know, if, if you break it down, it's 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 definitely attainable to get there by. It's doable. Yeah, yes. it's doable. With good weather, 100 percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely with good weather. What about Davis and Alex? Also, y'all are coming back. So what are what are your strategies going to be this year? Uh, Davis, start with you. Are you going to be trying to sleep, not sleep? What are you thinking? Uh, I carried a bivy first go around, like an actual structured bivy. <clears throat> Didn't use it. I'll probably bring just like an emergency, like an actual emergency bivy that's this big instead of mm-hmm. this big. Uh, that faster bike, and just see how long I can go. Some kind of the same so strategy as last time. <laughs> you're going to bring that new bolt cutter? Oh yeah. As long as it's not like terrible, terrible conditions. And then I may bring the chumbo back out since it's, it just keeps on going. I keep putting it through some terrible stuff. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I'll tell you, I got the exact same bike and you can't, it's like a tank, you know, it's just going to keep on going. Alex, what about you? What's your strategy this year? You didn't sleep the first year. Uh, Yeah, I will probably not sleep again. I probably won't pack all that stuff that i packed uh the decision i guess the big decision is going to be leading up to about a few weeks out whether it's going to rain or not if it doesn't rain i'll be on the same bike like i said the all city nature cross but i'll set it up geared uh one by 11 it's not the hilliest so it doesn't need to be like colorado or arkansas gearing uh but if it's raining and if it looks like it's going to be a mud fest then i'll probably do it on the steamroller which is going to be just essentially a track lacrosse setup. So fixed gear, oh, wow. brakeless, but with nice knobby 38s and having some real fun with it. <laughs> wow. So you're mixing up the most. Uh, you did it single speed. Yes. And this year you're probably going to, with good condition, you're going to go geared. Right. And with poor condition, you're going to go tr- track lacrosse. <laughs> yes. Nice. Uh, basis being, I mean, if I don't need to wear out brakes, then why should I? Uh, Katya mentioned earlier, it's not the hilliest of, of routes. Um, 
I feel like I've done some pretty stupider things on a brakeless fixed gear bike in terms of elevation changes and riding dirt. But yeah, I feel like if I don't have to spend the extra money to buy more brake pads or deal with mechanicals, then all power to me. <laughs> so Alex, I'm curious with the geared bike, let's say good conditions, uh, you are going to be, um, you know, carrying the mantle of, of the, the previous winner. So, and, and so are Davis and Katya, but interestingly, they both won the slowdown and they're both going the showdown, but you're coming back and you're doing the showdown again. Uh, do you feel any pressure to like, you know, keep, keep that time and keep that record or. So not necessarily pressure. I will say I have, I mean, I've been busy with other things uh, that previous to showdown, I was mostly in and out of jobs, mostly jobless. So I was spending a lot of time on the saddle. Uh, I had, I just had that much free time on my hands. Now I'm been, I've been busy full time just after the showdown until now. I'm loving my job. Uh, I'm actually moving in a few days to Houston. So closer to Houston, at least closer to my job. And uh, so I really haven't spent enough time training like I normally would like to uh, from going 300 mile weeks down to 200 mile weeks. I feel like I'm going insane, but I'm also trying to look at it from a more positive outlook too. I mean, I know I can do those distances now. I'm not necessarily trying to win, but if the conditions are great, that's more reason to at least do better than I did last time. If I'm going to have 10 extra speeds. <laughs> yeah. So good conditions, some extra gears and, um, some faster times maybe. And a lot more rest than I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's the end of my questions. Did anybody have anything that they wanted to share or talk about that didn't come up or anything? I know Lisa wants uh, to go back and talk about how she could, she would take a different tire. I bet. Yes, that would have been another thing, the different tire um for sure um but just speaking of, like about what alex alex you ride your bike a lot a lot i did not do hardly any training before it was really more of a challenge like i just wanted to accomplish riding that mileage within three days that um i was able to do it but had i trained more if you have if you're more of that kind of cyclist in a like a training schedule or you ride more you commute more however that you, you, you'll feel better about it. But I was really pushing my own personal limits, like physical endurance wise, I was struggling. Um, and had I ridden more beforehand, it would have probably been easier, but I think just that about like training, some people were like, how do I train for this? It's just like, yeah, you just ride more. And frankly, before this event, I did not ride as much as I could have or planned for, but it was also at that time, how my schedule was and my availability, you know, to ride beforehand, but you could definitely do it if, um, you know, you're just, you just want to do it. Um, but some people maybe have a better or, or, or that in mind of just going faster and stuff. Yeah. I think that's a super important thing to touch on. And, and I'm surprised that hasn't come up already, but you know, it was intentional that the route is shorter because as somebody who also has two jobs and two kids and, you know, has, has a busy life, it's hard to find time to train and ride 
two or three hundred miles a week. Yeah, when he said two or three hundred, I'm like, oh man, if I get fifty a week, I'd be like happy, uh, you know. And 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 that's that's kind of the fun thing about it, though, is that it allows people to come and and push their personal limits. I know. I mean, Katya. Uh, that was her longest. I think Davis, that was longest. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people that came and participated were just there to push their personal limits. And it wasn't about how fast can I go? Most people just wanted to be there for the bullet and, and be there for the end and, and the live music and the beers and, and all that stuff. And, um, but that's kind of the fun is that I, I hope that, I hope that we can do both. I hope that it can be, uh, a distance and a, an event, that allows people to come and just push themselves, you know, if they're busy and they have a lot on their plate. But if you are also uh, able to, man, yeah, go without any gear, go light, go fast, go without sleep. We'll see you in a few hours. But um, it, that's that's the fun, though, I hope, of the event is the shorter distances allow to get both groups and you can have people who are fast and hungry and you know, all these things and they, they can come and they can have a good time, but you can also just kind of be a mom or a dad and a, you know, all these other things and, and you can come and you can push yourself and you can have a good time. Well, you know, as a mom, so my son's going to be 13 on March 30th (laughs) and I'm just so glad that, you know, I can celebrate his birthday Next day, go to Bullet Grill to sleep in the parking lot and race on April 1st. <laughs> That'll be awesome. I'm glad it worked out this way. Hey, we did it for your son. Uh, we wanted I would, him to. I wouldn't participate if it was on his birthday. I have to be here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and, that, and that's that's it. Is like I get that as a parent, man, or or just if you have obligations, whatever they are, man. Um, you know, yeah. bikes are great and they bring a lot of value to our lives, but there's a lot of other stuff going on, and so um, that's kind of been one of the neatest things for me is is getting so many people to come uh, and enjoy the event. You know, for those those few days, and I think everybody that was there can agree that. Uh, I'm not just saying this, but we had a good damn time the first time. I mean, you know, a weather lot, be damned. A lot of fun. Yeah. Tell them. Yes, we did. It was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I think you made it, you made it, as someone who hasn't been riding bikes for very long, like three or four years, you made it a really inviting um, long distance event that you made a parent, you could kind of choose how you wanted to ride it. And for me, that took a lot of pressure off. And otherwise I would be maybe freaked out about trying to go as fast as I could. And instead I, w- I just wanted to push myself to see how fast can I go, not trying to necessarily win or whatever. Um, but I thought you did a really good job setting it up like that. And I was really thankful to have that as like my first long distance event really. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's exactly what it should be. I mean, I don't know. I I I I don't know. Come and do your best, man. It's not about the person next to you. It's about the person next to you when you're done and you're sharing a beer or a burger or whatever it is. But you know, when you're out there on your bike, it, it it's about you and your experience and and be there for yourself. You know, find whatever it is that you're looking for. Push yourself in whatever you're looking for. But being the fastest isn't isn't the isn't the thing. You know, it's fun to go fast and, um, and certainly we should acknowledge those efforts, but we should also acknowledge everybody who comes, signs up, 
puts their tire in the sand in those conditions, I mean, hats off, you know. <laughs> uh, the first round will go down in infamy as all of y'all were badasses because that that was those were tough conditions. <clears throat> all right, folks, I think that's it. All right, well, thank y'all so much, um, seriously, for coming on. This went really well with, with five guests. Um, I've never had this many guests before. I appreciate all y'all's input and um, really looking forward to seeing everybody um, out there. And Lisa and Dave, y'all will be missed, uh, but we'll pour one out for you. Oh, you're not dead. We won't pour one out for you. We'll drink <laughs> one for you. That's why we'll drink one for you. <laughs> Definitely. We'll drink one for you. Uh, all right, Dave, go, go party at Mardi Gras. Everybody have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here today. A special thanks to all of our past participants for coming on and sharing their knowledge. They are the professionals. They know more about this route than anybody. So, um, yeah, appreciate them coming on and and sharing their nuggets of knowledge. And, um, man, short and sweet today, next week's episode uh, should be an episode with my friend Connor and I. Uh, we're going to be recapping our Big Ben birthday bash weekend where we went bike rafting um, down the Rio Grande River. And um, yeah, telling you all about that trip and uh, should be good. I think that's it this week, folks. We are in hyperdrive getting ramped up for East Texas Showdown. I am just praying for good weather. That would be sick. We've seen the course at its absolute worst, and it would be really cool to see it at its absolute best. If I had to put a wish out there, it would be a high of 70, a low of 50, and just sun and clear skies. Maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I mean, I can't control the weather, but that would be sick. It would be really fun to to have the two different experiences and see the course and uh, it's in, in all its glory, I guess. So we'll see what we get. We're 30 days away and I cannot wait to see y'all out there. Until then, don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death.